We're going to go ahead and get back started. Um, again, we're in the harmony of the Gospels, and we're talking about the life of Jesus Christ. And we've been here almost two years now, and so we've been going through the life of Jesus as taught through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the first two chapters of Acts. And uh, today, um, we are going to continue a lesson that we uh, had started last week. If you remember, Jesus told his disciples to pray. He said, pray for the field are ripe unto harvest, right? He said, pray because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And help me out, God. I want to make sure everybody was paying attention last week. What was Jesus telling them them to pray for? What were they praying for when he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few? To preach the good news. Okay, to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's very true. And uh, we're we're, uh, to uh, preach that gospel through the way that we walk, talk, and act, but more importantly, through the Word of God, right? Uh, People are going to look at us, and they'll be able to know if we're His disciples or not by our thoughts, words, and actions. Um, But it is through the power of the preached Word and the Holy Spirit that God is drawing His people into Himself. But Jesus was getting the disciples to pray so that more people would go out into the field and bring them in, right? There's an old song we used to sing at church a long time ago. Bring them in, bring them in, bring the wandering ones to Jesus. We used to sing that a long time ago at the church. And it's true, isn't it? Um, do y'all remember, we're going to learn about this parable later on, but there was a parable of a dragnet and how the, the fisherman threw the net into the ocean and he dragged it up to the shore and then he picks out all of the good fish out of it and throws all of the shells and the trash uh, back. And it's a picture of God's drawing his people unto himself. And the way that he does that is through the preaching of the gospel. And so Jesus was telling his disciples to pray for workers to go into the field. Now, after we talked about that last week, we learned that Jesus already had in mind an answer to the prayer. And what was the answer to the prayer? Who remembers? Uh, If you want a hint, um, that was... uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 36, 37, and 38. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So Jesus is telling the disciples to pray so that the Father would uh, send prepare people to go out and to to preach and then what is the answer to that prayer look at Matthew chapter 10 verse 1 what does it say and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction alright so what did Jesus do he sent the disciples out to go in and bring them in you see so they were actually the answer to the prayer wasn't they right and sometimes that's the case um, how many times have I heard people praying something like this? Oh, Lord, please help me to understand your word better. All right? Please help me to understand your word better. Is that a legitimate prayer? Sure. Yeah, I it's a very so. legitimate prayer. Something we should be praying every time we open up the Scriptures. But the reality is if I don't open up the Scriptures, he's not going to answer that prayer, is he? Right. I can't lay it under my pillow and then come in through osmosis. <laughs> right? I'm going to have to pick it up and I'm going to have to read it. What does the Bible tell us? Study to show thyself approved a workman that needeth not be ashamed. Right? We have to study it to know it. And so one of the 
You know, the funny things about this story that I get tickled at is that Jesus is telling them to pray and then He sends them out. He's like, you're the answer to the prayer. Now, granted, they're going to go out and bring more people in who are going to become disciples as well. And if you remember at the end of our lesson last week, we talked about that. We talked about how uh, my mom is big into the ancestry stuff. She loves to get on Ancestry.com and find out who all of her great-great-great-great-great-grandparents were and where they come from. That kind of thing. But do you know that every one of us in this room, if you are a believer, you have a spiritual ancestry too. You had Sunday school teachers and pastors that worked in your life as a kid and as a teenager, as an adult, right? And you also had parents who raised you up in a fear and admonition of the Lord. And you and somebody shared the gospel with you. Somebody right? helped so, me right? understand right? Pastor Terry and right. Pastor Perry. Right. Somebody like Johnny Nichols. Yeah. And well, he he's really yeah. important in my spiritual life because I'm always asking questions, and he always takes the time to to make me understand and help me understand. That's what our rabbit holes are. Yeah. And so, we you think back on the people who have been an influence on your life for the gospel, people that have shown you what the love of Christ looks like. Uh, people who have shared the word with you, things like this. And the reality is, is they had people that did the same thing for them. Being Can, able to understand it the way that you and, and the other pastors in my life explain it makes my spiritual connection with God so much stronger. I fully be- know what I believe in. Well, Even that, though it was, at first I believed in Christ, I believed in the Son of God and the Trinity and all of that, but I didn't really understand I wanted to be solid and know exactly what I believed in. Sure. And as we continue to grow and as we continue to encourage one another and hold each other accountable for for what we're doing with our spiritual life, we all continue to grow. Well, I have one more thing to share. Two years ago, or it might have been a a year and some months, you know, nine months or so, I wrote this down in Matthew. And so this is part of me learning exactly what I believe. And it said, no other created thing can separate me from Jesus Christ. Yep, that's very true. That's in Romans chapter 8. Nothing well, can separate us. It came us. up in, in Matthew 10. Yep, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so, um, so the people that influenced your life, they had people that influenced their life. I was saying the other day, can you, can you imagine the number of crowns that Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher is going to get in heaven oh one day? You, you, know, you see what I'm saying? And so the truth of the matter is, is that all of us, our spiritually and our spiritual ancestry, would actually lead back to one of these apostles going out and doing what they were commanded to do. That's something to think about, isn't it? Jesus commanded Peter and Paul. Well, not Paul. Well, he did command Paul later, but but the rest of the apostles to go out and and share this message with the world. And because they went out and were obedient to his his command. The, the gospel message is spread to all four corners of the earth. And, and today, uh, that message is still being spread. And one day, the final person that's supposed to hear it is going to hear it, aren't they? And that's when it, that, the trumpet's going to blow and the clouds are going to rip open and, and we're going to receive the eternal kingdom. The, the, the invisible kingdom is going to become visible, right? What's the old the Fanny Crosby song? Lord, haste the day that my faith will be sight. The clouds roll back like the scroll. Yeah. The trumpet resounds and time will be no more. It is well. No, that's a different song. But what is the one that Fanny Crosby says? Uh, that one was all in my soul. I love that. My, uh, she, Fanny Crosby was born blind and she, she sings about... Um, uh, how uh, 
the glory of God appears before her eyes. Like she was blind all of her life, but she's talking about in the eternal kingdom how she's going to have new eyes and she's going to be able to see Jesus for the first time with her new eyes. And that, that's really cool. I, I was just sharing a lesson with some kids the other night about blind Bartimaeus uh, and how Jesus healed his sight. And the first face he saw when with Jesus. Jesus when he got his sight back. And, and so that's really neat to think about. But but so the message is going out. It's doing what it's supposed to do. And we are called to be a part of that message, are we not? And so what, again, uh, just real quick, help me out. What does it mean actually to be a disciple? What does that mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? The person baptized and who goes out and you make another disciple, make another baptized Christian who goes out and preach the word. Okay. All right. I was going to say to do God's work. To do God's work. All right. So what what is God's work? If you're his disciple, what will your work look like? Setting an example. Okay. Living an example before Living people. Living an example. So okay. That people know what else? Praying, following God's okay. word through the Bible. Okay, good. Right? And so there are certain things that are required of it. So to be a dis- disciple means that you are under the discipline of a master, Right? And so God the Father is our creator and, and His Son is our Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit is the one who seals us in that love and empowers us to do what we do, to know what we know and to see what we see. And so we are God's disciples. We are disciples of Jesus and we are following in His footsteps. And so again, I want to emphasize the fact that that word disciple is the root word for discipline, right? It, you know, that's what it means. It means to be disciplined. And we, we practice, we're supposed to practice discipline in our lives in all kinds of ways, are we not? I'm not supposed to eat a big bowl of ice cream right before I go to bed at night. I'm supposed to have the discipline to not eat it, you see? I'm supposed to get up and exercise. That reminds me of what my dad told me one time. He said, Mike, he said, I, I live to eat. Or he said, you, I live to eat. He said, you, you, you eat, you eat. He said he eats to live, and I live to eat. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he told yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. I had a grandfather that used to tell me that at the dinner table. He said, "Boy, you ain't eating because you're hungry. You eating because it's good." Right. Yeah. And and uh, it's. But you are supposed to enjoy a little bit. You sure. Know what I mean? but sure. At the same time, you're not supposed to over and over. But the point that Jesus was making is, is that there is a way of life for the discipline. The, the disciplined for the disciple. There's a way that we're supposed to live and a way that we're supposed to act and things that we're supposed to do. And so think about that in your own life. So Jesus had sent them out. They went out. They were praying for people. They were preaching. They were healing the blind. Uh, they were causing the blind to see and healing folks. Um, and Jesus told them to go out and heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. What does he mean by that? Freely you have received, freely give. Well, well that means you give the blessing back. Okay. You, know, you, you receive the blessing, so you should bless somebody else if you have it. forward, right? Yeah. Sure. Right. So the, the grace of God was a gift that was free to you and I. It costed him his son, but it was free to you and I. Mm-hmm. And so what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go out and share that grace with others. Um, uh, one example of that is God's forgiveness was a free gift to us. And what did he say? Forgive others as you have been forgiven. For if you do not forgive others of your trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father uh, forgive you of your trespasses. Right. And so there's, uh, it, as a disciple under Christ, 
He has freely poured His love and His grace and His salvation into us. And He freely gave that to us. And now what are we supposed to do with it? Are we supposed to hoard it up and keep it in the house, right? No, we're supposed to share it with the world around us. So a true disciple is someone who is doing what God commanded us to do, which is to go out and share the gospel. Now let me ask you this question really quick. Um, why, why did... Jesus give them the power to heal the sick, raise the dead, and cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Why are we not commanded today to go out and heal the blind and cast out demons and cure leprosy and and raise the dead? Why why are we not doing that nowadays? Does anybody know? Well, that's that's a pretty tough question, isn't it? My daddy told me because <clears throat> my daddy said, if ever, I don't know, but he said, uh, well, we have the Bible. They had the Bible. They had the book of Isaiah and maybe Jeremiah, a few books of the Bible, mm-hmm. but they didn't have. We have the Bible now, so there's no need for those types of miracles. Okay, that's very close to that. That's really, really super close to the right answer. Anybody else want to add the to that? Miracles were to show that Christ Good. was the one. So the apostolic sign gifts. Remember, we said an apostle was a sent one. Right, and the apostles were the eleven or the twelve here. Actually, we talked last week about how Judas actually had the same powers that they did. Remember, but they went out, and so these apostolic sign gifts were gifts given to the apostles, to, to, so that the, their miracles could authenticate the message. Let me say that again: the miracles authenticated the message. All right. So, what is it that saved people? Was it the miracles or the message? The message. the message is actually what saved people. All right, so think about um, I, um, I, right now. I'm going through in my yearly study through the Bible. I'm reading. I just got to Deuteronomy. I just got finished with uh, Numbers, and uh, I'm going through the wilderness experience. And one of the things that over and over again that it forces me to see when I read about the children of Israel in the wilderness experience is. They had God rip open the Red Sea. They had God pour plagues down on Egypt and kill Pharaoh's son and then kill Pharaoh and wipe out the greatest military in the world. Like um, They had uh, manna every morning when they woke up and got outside their tents. Um, they had quail. They, they, the miracles were all, It was obvious that God was all up in their life. And they, like, and, and they would rebel and like God literally ripped open the ground and like 25, 20, 14,000 people fell down into the bottomless pit and were buried in the earth. Like God was with them. And yet even with all of those miracles and even with all of those signs, the people still rebelled against him. And what does over and over again, what does Moses make sure that we hear when we read through those those uh, accounts is that God constantly said, you have my word, or the Lord said unto them, the Lord said unto them, you have my word, obey my word, write it on your forehead and on your hands, you know, and so God was with them, obviously in the miracles, and yet even with the miracles, and even with him literally speaking out loud to them where they could hear him, they didn't believe. You see? So, a lot of people today would tell you the same kind of thing. They say, well, if he would come and just speak to me out loud where I could hear him, I would believe. And what does the Bible tell us? No, you wouldn't. The children of Israel, two two million plus people, had him living with them in a big cloud over the top of their city for, for 40 years. 
doing all kind of miracles, and yet they still rebelled against him. They still wouldn't trust him. They still wouldn't believe him. So one of the one of the concepts that we can grasp, and one of the overall concepts that you can grasp in Scripture is um, uh, the world shit says, if you show me, I will believe you. And God says, if you believe me, I will show you. So God works the exact opposite way that the world works. Man wants proof. Prove to me that what you're saying is true. And it's never enough. And, and it's never enough. No matter how much evidence you give them, it's still not enough. With God, he said it this way. Believe me and I'll show you it's true. And if you believe, everything shows up. Yeah, yeah. And so um, these these disciples were given this power because they were going out to authenticate the message. Did it draw big crowds? Yeah. Well, yeah, you better believe it. Matter of fact, the whole, almost all the way through Jesus' ministry, every time Jesus would heal somebody, what would he say? Don't go tell anybody. Keep this one under your hat. Why? Because he didn't want people coming for the miracles. He wanted them coming for the message. He knew they was going to go tell. He knew that when he told them not to. But he didn't want them to. Exactly, but he knew they was going to. So that's always because he knows what we're like. Yeah. Right, but that's always been confusing to me. He knew they was going to, so why did he tell him not to? So he can hold him accountable for not doing what he said. Okay. Yeah. He gave you. He gave you the. He gave you the Ten Commandments and knew you were going to break all of them. Okay, that's true too. Okay. Why did he give you that? So he can hold you accountable for your actions. Okay. That help make sense? (laughs) All right. So they've gone out to get it. And so what's happened, your dad was very accurate. We have the entire message of the gospel. We have an empty tomb. We have a Savior sitting on a throne at the right hand of his Father in heaven. We have all of that. And that's the message that we preach now. And we and, and all through the scriptures, you've seen over and over again that you can give them the miracles. That's not going to change their hearts. It's the message that changes hearts. And so, I, you know, it's funny. I was on the way here today. And, um, you know, we live in the Bible Belt here in, in Georgia. And there's nearly a church on every corner from my house on Whitmarsh all the way over here. There's a church on every corner. And I, I made a note today of reading some of the the signs as I was coming here. And did you know every sign I read on every church? Used to, when I was a kid, the signs on the church would have Bible verses on there. That, that's what they would put up there. It would be a Bible verse. You know, come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Right, right. It would be something like that. Well, today on the way here, you know what I see? Free food giveaway Saturday, 6 p.m. Oh, yeah. You know, um, wash your hands, wear your mask, trust God. And so, what what are we getting? A dance this weekend, you know, or um, no no services here uh, this week, or they, so they're they're using their their billboards as a spokes uh, spokes for what the church is doing and not what Christ has done. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, right. And so, and 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 not only that, you all know that. I mean, we we're very fortunate here in our little Bible study. We have some ladies that love us very much and bring us a lunch every week, right? And I can guarantee you that a lot of people come just for lunch. They're like, hey, it's a free lunch. I'm going to come eat. 
right? We do breakfasts and, and lunches at our churches, and a lot of people that come to those things are just coming there because there's a free breakfast or a free lunch. They're not really there about the mess of God. Sometimes but, they start out doing that, and it turns into something different. Well, but generally, when you appeal to someone's stomach, that's the only appeal you're going to have to them. What, what is the old saying? What you win them with is what you'll keep them with. So if you win them with the message, then what kind of people are you going to have in your congregation? People that are hungry for the word. If you raise them up with Wednesday night potlucks, Sunday night potlucks, then unfortunately a lot of the crowd that you get to come is going to be there to feed their guts. You see how that works? It was the same way here. What were a lot of those people coming to see? Show me a miracle. Show me a sign. Relieve my physical ailments. Get this hurt away from me. When in reality, the deep root cause of hurt and hunger and pain and sorrow and suffering is what? What's the deep root issue in all of that? Not our fallen nature. Yeah, our fallen nature. That we have turned our backs on God and rebelled against Him. And now the whole earth groans and travails in pain. And so what is it that's going to restore our sight? What is it that's going to restore our uh, our minds? What is it that's going to fill us in our hearts and our stomachs? It's the bread of life. It's the Word of God. It's, remember what he told the girl, the woman at the well? Those that drink from this water will never thirst again, right? What did he say? My flesh is bread, and whoever eats of my flesh will never hunger again. And so it's not that... The physical things are not important because they are, but they're not as important as the spiritual things. And so if you find a ministry that is focusing on the miracles, you know, come here and we'll heal you. Come here, we'll pray for your financial prosperity. You come to our church and your bank account will get full of money and you'll, and you know, you'll have a nice house. And, and that's so sad. Right. And, God's going to make us, he's going to take care of us, but that's so sad. Right. Well, but it's, it's, it's our nature. That's what we're drawn to. And so when you find a church and the, the focus is the miracles and the signs and the outward things, then in almost every case there, the Word's not going to be there. The message is not going to be there. Now, is there a danger? Is there a danger in uh, too much message and not enough love. Like, in other words, can you get so straight orthodox that your church is dead? Yes, I think the Pharisees and the Sadducees yeah, is, 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 a, is a living proof that's of that. A big, that's a, a huge miracle to me. The, the Jews, especially in this time, they knew the Bible. They Well, they knew the scriptures. Right. And they memorized them, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. Right. So they had a, a handle on what God was. The Gentiles had no clue. Yet, but when they were preached to, God opened their eyes as well, so everybody had a God-sized hole in their heart. I get that, but the the Jews had more information. Right, and and, and they were more accountable. Right. So, if you remember, guys, about two weeks ago, I, I said it this way, and I hope that you'll always remember this because this is something that I always keep in mind. I try to keep in mind. God saves people through the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And through the preaching of the Word of God. And never will one or the other be a, work alone. God's Spirit does not work without His Word. 
And the word does not work without his spirit. And God saves people through the word and the spirit. And they always work in unison. They always work in harmony. So if you get to a church and you find a church that is, uh, after the, if you walk outside the church service after the church service is over and you hear people say like, boy, the spirit was really working in that church today. <laughs> yeah. Did you see sister so-and-so? She was out. They was fanning her with sheets. <laughs> Uh, brother so and so was doing this and she was doing that and 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 they're right in in any church where so the the focus is on old man the spirit but how often do you go out of a church service and you see people now sometimes you go out and say old preacher bill was boy he was preaching it today you know firing it you know that's what the kind of preaching we need but a lot of times when you hear that it's it's Man-centered, like, I'm glad old Bill was here to hear that today. He really needed to hear that lesson, right? This guy. Right, yeah, that (laughs) other guy. But the point being is this. If the message and the spirit work together, when you come out of the service, everybody's going to be humble. Everybody's going to be broken. And we're going to be talking about... And we're going to hear We're going to talk about the Word. We're going to talk about what was preached. We're going to talk about Jesus. And we're going to... Our conversations and our emotions and, and our thoughts and our feelings are going to be focused on Him. Because that's what the, when the Spirit and the Word are at work together, what did, he, what did Jesus say? If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And so that's the proper harmony that we're supposed to have. We had that recovery meeting last night. We were in Matthew, um, and we, we went around the room, and what God did in our lives, it was, it was very, it was, um, I don't know, it just really affected me. Hmm? I think it affected all of us. So we have to remember that as his disciples, you can't just go out and love people into the kingdom of God. That's not, well, you can, but love being you sharing his truth with them. And the spirit of God being at work in their lives and in your words and in, in, your, in your intentions. You know, because it's so easy for us to get out, and we're going to see this in just a second, it's so easier for us to get out there in the world and get caught up in the world and forget. We were speaking what, about that too, how the, uh, his yoke was light, and we spoke, we compared the yoke of addiction and the yoke of Christ. And the yoke of Christ was like helium. I mean, it lifted us up rather than weighed us down. So, yeah. there again, um, we, we spent the first 20 minutes or so of the, the lesson of the day reviewing what we talked about before. Let's go ahead and look at some uh, some text itself. Uh, Matthew chapter 10. And let's go ahead and look at um, uh, verse 14 and 15 of chapter 10. Now remember, um, the message is going to have one of two reactions. Uh, it's going to either be received and believed or it's going to be rejected and spurned. And so he says this, Whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words, as you go out of that house and city, shake the dust off of your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment uh, than for that city. And so um, there's there is degrees of accountability, are there not? What's he saying? He's saying the people that hear the message of the apostles are going to be held more accountable than the people that died in Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know that Sodom and Gomorrah was one of the wickedest places on the face of the earth. Yeah. Right? We hear people today say things like this. They say, um, well, 
you know, if God don't hurry up and do something about this world, he's going to owe Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. I, I hear people say that, <laughs> say things like that. Right? You know, the way that this world is going now, he's going to owe Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, first of all, God don't owe anybody an apology. Mm-hmm. Right? But the reality is this, that one of God's main ways of judging us is by turning us over to our own desires. And so all of this LGBTQ, uh, uh, yeah, the, the whole letter alphabet thing, the whole gay lesbian movement, the whole uh, counterculture stuff that's going on, all of this nonsense that we're seeing the are going on. That are involved. The, be the churches are embracing it as well, yeah. right? And so the reality is this. God judged Sodom and Gomorrah and took them out. In brimstone, fire and brimstone, and turn them to ashes. See, that's got me worried too, because you know we're like we're slowly changing into that way. Yep. Not slowly. We're we're head over heels. We're worse. We're worse, and the reason that we're worse is what he's saying right here. It's going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah that day because we have the gospel. Like the gospel has been proclaimed, and we're going to be held more accountable for our actions than those people were. Because we have more, as much is given, much is required. Yeah, on the day of judgment. Yeah, yeah. You have more light. You you have been given more light. And so for me to reject the light that has been given to me is going to make me more accountable than someone who has not received as much light as I have. And 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 so he's he's telling his disciples to go out and you know shake the dust off your feet when they don't receive your message. Um, and on the day of judgment, everybody's going to answer for what they do with the message. So what are we to do? We're to go out and share the message in spirit and in truth and in love and tell people the truth in love, right? Um, I was just talking with my, one of my uh, pastors the other night, and I said, you, you know, we were talking about how the homosexual crowd gets very offended at us when we go and tell them that what they're doing is wrong. But you have to tell them in love. You have to be loving and truthful to them. And, and remember... That the gospel itself, the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, is offensive. The Bible says that to the world, the message of the cross is offensive. It's foolish to those who are perishing. The world don't want to hear it. And so when you go out and share it with people, people are going to reject it. And don't be surprised. And don't be surprised. And don't take it personal. But... There is a certain time when they, as they continue to reject the message, what did he tell the disciples? Walk out of their house and take off your sandals and knock the dust off your feet and say, I'm out of here. So I've learned a very, very valuable lesson um, here in the last uh, six years of working in ministry with teenagers. Um, I cannot begin to tell you how radical the, the 13 to 17 year old kids are today. We are living in a time when they have been indoctrinated in the schools yeah. and on the television and in the movies that they're watching. And, and just in the last two years, I can tell you that these young girls, these 13 to 15, 17-year-old girls, I would be on, being honest with you, I work with, with thousands of them every year, and I'm going to tell you that about 70% of them are identifying as lesbian or bisexual now. Yep. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's it's like the school system has crammed it into their head, yeah. and as rebellious teenagers with all kind of chemicals and hormones flying around in their bodies, they, it's a way for them to get oh, attention yeah. for themselves. They can stand up and say, "See me, I'm different than everybody else." And and so anyhow, and they hate the Bible. The 
They yeah, hate that, the Bible. That, that makes sense because my son, you know, he's he's in the service, and he's always telling me that fifty over fifty percent of the women that are in the service. Yep. Are like that. Well, yep, and and they've they've been indoctrinated Some into of them it. Just and straight up, you know, they're not even. And remember, according to Scripture, that is the last stage of rebellion. When man rebels against his created nature, when a man says, I don't care how you created me, I'm going to use my body the way I want to use it. When mankind literally rebels against the Creator so much that he says, I'm going to be something different than how you made me, in Romans 1, it shows us that that's one of the last stages of rebellion. And so I've worked with these kids for a long time, and I have to be very careful because in the environment that I work in, um, the hospitals that I work in, a lot of them have federal and state funding. Right. And if you go in there and preach the wrong, the, the, the truth, um, there's a chance that that hospital can be fined or even lose their license if they allow you into their buildings to do these kind of things. So I have to be very careful about it. And most of the time, what I've had to learn how to do is I've had to learn how to address these kids in a one-on-one situation instead of a, in a group, mm-hmm. and uh, and so um, and just the a couple like two weeks ago, I had a, a group of kids. There was about 15 girls in the class, and uh, 13 of them, when we offered Bible study for them, left. They all went and sat down in the hallways. And of course, we uh, we don't force anybody to stay for Bible study. So think about the the percentages um, of 15 kids. 13 of them went and sat in the hall. So we had two kids stay for the Bible study. Well, when we got done with the Bible study, the staff made all the kids that were in the hall come back into the main room. And as they all came back into the main room, every one of them, they all jumped on me. They all wanted to know questions. They asked questions about, well, what what does the Bible say about this? And what does the Bible say about that? They ask you these questions, but they don't want to know the answers. They just want to argue with you. They want to show that you're wrong. And so as soon as you say, they ask you, well, what does the Bible say about this? And then you say, well, you show them something, and then they'll say, well, how do you even know that's true? That was written like 50, or they'll say it was written 50,000 years ago. They have no idea of how we got our scriptures, but they're saying man translated it, and how can you even know it's true anymore? Like they're, they're completely inundated with the world's arguments. Like they, so the, first of all, they're rebelling against God's truth. And there was a time when I would try to sit and reason with them. But I've learned, especially, and God, I'm telling you, in the last two years, this thing, this movement has ramped up so much. I'm telling you, 70% of these teenage kids are, are, the girls, are it's mainly the girls, are identifying with, with lesbian, bisexual, uh, transgender lifestyle. Like 70%. It is complete. We're swamped. And another thing that you've seen happen over the, in the past few years is that the gender roles are flipping. So I go in and work with a group of boys, and the boys are all artsy and coloring and expressing themselves through their emotions. Mm-hmm. And the girls are ready to attack you and rip your throat out. So 10 years ago, that was the boy. The boys were physical and, and violent and abusive, mm-hmm. and the girls were docile and curled up in a corner. But what you've <laughs> seen is their roles have literally flipped. Satan doing this with the world. Yeah, turning it on its head. And the only thing that's going to get it straight is the gospel of Jesus Christ and us going and sharing that message with people. Like That's the only thing that's going to get it straight. But the point I was bringing up with all of this is 
Um, what I've learned to do with these girls now, and this is my new standard, this is what I'll do. So first of all, if they don't come to the class, if they reject coming to the class and then they just want to come in and argue over the class, class over, I'm probably not even going to talk with them other than to say, I sure wish you would have come to class, that kind of thing. But I will ask them a question like this. I will say, if I can show you in the scriptures that what you believe is wrong, is it going to change your mind? And what are they going to say? No. No. And I say, okay, our conversation's over. Mm-hmm. You see, I'm not going to continue to let them. Right. It, what the, and, and I honestly believe that that's what Jesus means when he says, don't cast your pearls before swine. I was going to say that. You know, and because the truth of the matter is the world, and we're going to see that here in just a no second. The world hates the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world hates truth. Because the world is captured in darkness and the light of the gospel exposes sin. It exposes our wickedness. It exposes the wrongs that we do. And if we're, if we're embracing sin, if we're living in the darkness, the last thing in the world we want is exposure. And think of what a miracle. What a miracle it is that God picked me out of that. Amen. So and set me in the light. Let's look at verses 16 through 23 oh, here and see what me, it says. Um, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 through 23. It says this, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as servants as, and as innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in every synagogue. All right? And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about what uh, what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speaks, but it is the Spirit of the Father who speaks in you. All right. So one of the beautiful things about this is, is that Jesus always practices what he preaches. Now think about that. What did he say? I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be shrewd and innocent. But beware, because men are going to hand you over to the courts, and they're going to scourge you in their synagogue. Did that happen to Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, that most definitely did. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them, to the Gentiles. Did that happen to Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. But when you are handed over, do not worry about what you will say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speaks, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And so, remember when Jesus was before him, he said he was like a sheep led in a shear. He did not open his mouth. He didn't argue with them. He didn't, he didn't, matter of fact, he hardly answered any questions that they asked him. Why? Because their, their intentions from the very beginning was to nail him to a cross. And the very intentions uh, that he came into the world was to die on that cross to save us. And no talking was going to change that. Fact. Just like you tell that person, if you if I show you this in scripture, will you? No. Yeah. No. It doesn't matter what he says. It's up to them whether they accept. The only thing you that's can right. do is come. That's is, exactly right. Is, is preach the word. All right. Now look what it says in verse twenty-one through twenty-three. <clears throat> brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause him to be put to death. Yeah. <clears throat> you will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Well, and so it says, but whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through all the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. All right, so you will be hated for my name. 
And so Jesus gives his disciples all of these warnings of what is going to happen when they go out and do what he commands them to do. He didn't, he, he didn't cover it over and make it sound like a glamorous life. <laughs> no. And yet these guys went out and did exactly what he called them to do. And think about it. He said, you're going to be hated for my name. And what you'll find is in most of the churches nowadays that Jesus is being preached. Nobody hates the Jesus that is being preached today. That's because they're not preaching. He's just a lovely, lovely Jesus. He lo- Jesus loves everyone unconditionally. That's what you hear. And God wants us to be happy. And God wants us to be happy. Not faithful, just happy. Yeah. You see? Oh, yeah. And so what's happened, what's happened is the message is being dumbed down. Not only dumbed down, but the message is now catering to the desires of the people. Because instead of to the desire and will of the Father. You see? Right. And, and, and it's in, even in our lives. And guys, you know as good as I do that in my human nature and in your human nature, we like to be liked. Like, I like getting likes on Facebook. I like people checking the little yeah, things. I used that, to agree with folks even stuff I didn't believe in yeah. just so that they would, would like, like you. you the we, we love to have attention. Like we love to be we'll feel like we belong. Yeah. Right? And what Jesus is telling these disciples is, guys, when you go out and live like I commanded you to live, you're not going to belong. Well, God has given us people to belong with, like my church home. That's yep. why it's so important yep. to, to find a church home because it, you do belong there. It's very true. And there's people like you there. Yep, it's very true that, that your eternal family is, is supposed to be your new home. So uh, what is Jesus saying in these verses in 16 through 23? He's saying that this is not going to be an easy road. Like you're, It's going to be tough. Discipleship involves discipline. And a part of the discipline is realizing, what did Jesus say? In the same way that they treated me, they're going to treat you. So think about what did they do to Jesus and his physical body when he came here to this earth? They, they questioned him. Disrespected him. Disrespected him. They questioned they everything that he was teaching. And they tried to convince other folks that, that he was a liar. Right. They tried. They tried to catch him in his words. They tried to find some fault in him. Fake news. Right. <laughs> they, they, they persecuted him. They arrested him. They nailed him to a cross and they killed him. Now he gave up his own life on the cross, but yeah. th- their intention was to kill him. All right. So that's his physical body. Well, what do we call Jesus' spiritual body? He's the head, and the body is who? Church. The church. church. So what do you think that the world is going to do to the body of Christ? The same thing that they did to his physical body. Here we go again. Yeah. It's going to be the same exact thing. Well, it's been continually. Yeah, it has been. And it's going to continue, and it's going to continue to ramp up and get heavier and heavier. The more the light shines, the harder that the darkness is going to try to put it out. But what does it say? Light's coming to the world, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Like the light is going to win. And so we need to understand that, that um, living the life that Christ has called us to live is not easy, but it's right. And we, even as children of God, we still have our fallen nature in us that still fights and struggles against what we know we're supposed to be doing. We have to ask forgiveness every night. Ask forgiveness, and we have to... Disciple ourselves. We have to be disciplined. Either we do the disciplining or God will do the disciplining. You see? 
we stay in his word. Uh, we walk in fellowship with the body. Um, we go out and share the gospel. We do the things that we're supposed to do. And that, that is a form of discipline, isn't it? You know, I should be, instead of tonight when I get home from work, instead of eating that big bowl of ice cream, I should take my dog and go for a two-mile walk. But when I get home, I'm going to pet my dog, and then I'm going to get a big bowl of ice cream. <laughs> you see? Why? Because it's a lot easier to fill my belly than it is to go out and walk two and a half miles. It's the same way when it comes to studying the Word of God. I just, uh, the other night, I, um, I, just a little... Uh, tidbit about me. I, I grew up reading comic books, so I am kind of a big fan of the comic book movies. Like oh, I, I've liked. Now I don't like them anymore because now they're all getting into the political stuff and yeah. it's getting to be stupid. But the new, uh, the the better version of the Justice League movie just come out. Uh, it, it, the original one was two hours and fifty minutes. This one was four hours. Wow. And did you know that the other night I sat at my desk with my TV on my computer and watched a four-hour movie, ate popcorn. Uh, Pop tarts, uh, you know, four hours. I sat for four hours and watched it. Loved it, and it didn't strain me at all for four hours to sit there and do that. But you know, I sat down this morning to try to get my daily Bible readings done. And my Bible, what I read in my Bible and then my study work is usually about two and a half hours a day. Is is about what what I put into it. And did you know that twenty minutes into it, I was taking on my computer to look and see what social media was doing or find something. Yeah. You understand what I'm trying to explain you still, to you here? You it's a lot harder to books? do that. No, I don't. Oh. No. My son does. He's a comic book collector. I've got some old ones, but I don't, I don't really. So, my son collects them. So what is the point I'm trying to make? It is so much easier for me to indulge the flesh than it is to, to feed the spirit. But have you ever fed your spirit and said, man, am I sorry I spent that time? Nope, never. never. I never, never, never. That's but fine. that ice cream that you eat, you think, well, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, because well, I have regret. Yeah, because then the next day I have to, it, it's hard for me to get my pants on. But I'm working that's, that's, on that's, that that's now. kind of a fine line there. Though, you're supposed to enjoy some things, you know, right? Am I right? I mean, like, when you eat that ice cream, you're supposed to enjoy it. That's really good. Yeah, we shouldn't eat a whole bowl of it. <laughs> well, what's a whole bowl? A whole bowl could be a small yeah, well, that's the discipline. Yeah. Exactly. To get out the little bowl instead of the big bowl. Well, that's a choice that, that you make. All right. <laughs> so the point being is, is that I'm constantly drawn to the wrong things, and it takes discipline to, to, to do what's right. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach us here. Go out and do what I've commanded you to do, and it's going to be a hard road. It's not going to be an easy thing. You're going to struggle, and the world's going to hate you. The world's going to persecute you. Um, you're going to fall. You're going to mess up. You're going to do the wrong things, and yet I'm with you, and I'm with you to help you to do what I've called you to do and commanded you to do. And so we need to make sure that we're doing those things. Um, and thousands of people before you have done this. Yep. Right? It's yep. not like I'm giving you an assignment that's impossible. So, so next week when we get back together, we'll finish up our three-part series on discipleship and what it means. We're going to look at uh, Matthew 10, verses 24 through 42. Um, we'll look at Matthew 24 through 42. Matthew 10, 24 through 42. If y'all want to cheat and read ahead to see that. Um, but uh, remember, uh, God has called us and saved us out of this world, not so that we can go back into it and be a part of it, but so that we can be a light and we can be salt and we can be what he's called us to be, which is a peculiar people, a holy nation, you know, set apart for him. 
Um, and so you can go back now and read the Old Testament and see the children of Israel. They were God's called out people. They were called out to be a light. They were called out to be separate. They were called out to, to walk His walk and talk His talk. And, and how did they do? They failed. And, th- and they are our example. And the funny thing is, is that now we have the Spirit living within us and yet we're still failing. And we're going to be held that much more accountable for, for what we do with our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And, and, and so Lord was talking earlier about how Jesus saved us from our addictions and saved us from our sin. And, and what David said, he, he pulled me out of the muck and the mire and set my feet upon a rock, right? Well, as long as I stand on that rock, I'm in good shape. But my tendency is going to be to continue to go wallow in the mud. And so what we need to realize is this. You want to stay sober? You want to, you want to, uh, stay at peace with God? You want to have a life that is productive and meaningful and, and has eternal value to it? Then continue walking in discipleship with Jesus Christ and don't yield to, to this world anymore. And the more that you discipline yourself, the more that you read the Word, the more that you pray, the more that you fellowship with the body, the more that you sit under the preaching, the more that you you uh, practice the, um, the the ordinances that He has given us, go to communion, and 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 uh, the more that we study the Word and pray and fellowship and walk with Him, the more we fill our lives with that, the less of our lives we have to share with those other things. You see? So. This uh, starts winning over the old. This, this yes. wins over yeah, your good old. Pushes out the yeah, yeah. And so you fill your life with his discipline, and there won't be any room in your life for his discipline. Uh, the, the wrong kind of discipline, you see? So we, we walk in the, the discipline of the faith. Which is to study his word and to. to it reminds me of being afraid of death and and that change to looking forward of what's going to be in heaven. <clears throat> so the fear is left because of what yep. Christ has yep. in my life. Amen. Well, let's, uh, let's close. Can, with, can I mention yep. before? Yep. I thought it was interesting this last verse of chapter 9 says, Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And the, you know, the, the human mind says, Boy, I hope he finds a lot of people to do that. Yep. <laughs> right. 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 You're right. That's what I was thinking. That's We're the for us to go, not praying for somebody else to go. Right. right. And then we brought that up at the beginning of the lesson. <laughs> yeah, he right. told them to pray, and then he right. sent them out. No, that's a very good yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what made me yeah. think of that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's uh, close with a word of prayer. It's good to see everybody. Y'all have a blessed week, okay? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for a chance to study your word and your truth. And, Lord, I'll be the first to admit it in front of everybody that's listening to my voice. Um, I fail you miserably at times in my life. Uh, as your disciple, I, I, I neglect the things that you've commanded me to do, and I, I ask for your forgiveness for that. Um, I ask you to, to continue to work in my heart and expose the sin in my life, expose the, the wrongs that I do, uh, and help me to, to walk away from the wrong things and to do what you've called me to do. Give me the strength and the power. And I pray for every man and woman in this room that you will do the same for them, that you will give them the strength and the power to walk away from the things that are hurting us, the things that are harming us, the things that are keeping us from enjoying your love and your light, and allow us to go. Just like you said, you have freely given us your love. You've given us your grace and your mercy. Please give us the strength and willingness and desire to share that grace and mercy with others. Freely as we have been given, give us the strength and the ability to freely go out and share it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.